So all that to say, real estate is the easy sell to gain resources, to make movies, to be involved in government, to better my community with. And I think that is sort of the missing piece that I needed in my creative endeavors is having a solid, firm foundation of low-risk investment opportunities. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the fourth season of Ready to Scale. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. Real estate investing is not rocket science, but it's not a fairy tale either. It's an incredible investment vehicle that builds and grows wealth. I have done it, and this is why so many of the wealthiest people in America and in the world, actually, invest in real estate as well. Listen in every week to learn about all the different real estate asset classes, which strategies experienced and successful investors use to live their best lives and the processes to do it. Don't reinvent the wheel. Just listen in every week to grow your knowledge along with me and to move your finances to a place where you can live an extraordinary life. This show is sponsored by my company, Blue Lake Capital, where we help passive investors grow their wealth through large multifamily investments and funds. To learn more about my company and invest in with me, visit www.bluelake-capital.com. Welcome to Ready to Scale Season 4. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Ready to Scale. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman, broadcasting from the beautifully amazing and sunny and warm California. Today on the show, I have a very interesting guest, Alex LaFerrier, and you're going to hear about his passions and his investment strategies and how he's using real estate to help him pursue his passions and actually more than pursue, being very active in the community and contribute and give back. So you're going to hear all about that. A little bit about Alex. He has been wearing many hats. So he is a multifamily syndicator with Fairwinds Capital, and he's also an outreach coordinator for Rhode Island's Commission for Deaf and Hard of Hearings and he is also involved in multimedia production. He's a specialist for Brown University in multimedia production. So I don't know how he has time to do all these things, but we're going to hear about that, how he's able to juggle all of these things and build his portfolio. A little bit more about Alex. So he was previously a director for Broken Walls Films and a media technician for Harvard University. And he grew up in a deaf family and he developed a passion for advocacy from a very young age through his family's challenges. And I can tell you from personal experience that when you grow up in a challenging family, it builds some character and it shapes in the way you see the world and your passion. So we're going to hear all about that. And also Alex has a master's degree in public policy analysis from Brown University. And he has an undergrad degree in interactive media and game design in addition to all of this. So very, very, you know, impressive background, interesting guest. So without further ado, I would like to welcome Alex to the show. Hey, Alex. Thanks, Ellie. Happy to be here. Absolutely. So, you know, I read you by, it's very interesting. You obviously have personal passions and I would love to hear how was it like for you growing up in a deaf family and transitioning to real estate was at some point, were there any special hurdles, specific hurdles to that background? And how did you end up buying real estate? Yeah. So I feel like in the mainstream cultural zeitgeist, like deaf culture has been elevated in a lot of mainstream ways, looking at Hollywood's most recent best picture winner, CODA, which stands for Child of Deaf Adult. 
And it's sort of in parallel to my own personal journeys in terms of being a filmmaker and coming from a deaf family and kind of learning about these things that I grew up in, but never really realized, you know, it, people always ask this question of what was it like to be in a deaf household? And I don't know, it was just, it's my life, you know, how does it, it be a part of a hearing household? Obviously, when contrasted against, you know, other families, instances, and no family's ever perfect, do you realize, yeah. oh, we did things a little bit differently this way? And, oh, you know, we had to, you know, I've had to make calls for my parents for whatever reasons related to household matters. And that's just unique, perhaps a little bit more in line with like a third culture kid who maybe comes from an immigrant family and maybe there's a language discrepancy within their upbringing. So all that to say is like, I have feel like I've learned more about the facets of my upbringing and my unique influence with language and culture and being involved with various, various different projects that I feel like it's made me a uniquely creative person. And that's sort of in line with my filmmaking and multimedia endeavors. And I think real estate has been an extension of that because like a real, any real estate project, there are multiple facets to it, whether that's asset management or, you know, renovations or property management. So all of these things are just like different creative aspects that maybe have their own unique challenges, whether that's physical accessibility for, you know, handicapped tenants or creative financing solutions for large multifamily complex projects, which is more in line with my multifamily syndication goals. So I feel like, you know, there's a great quote of like, life isn't a line, it's sort of like a spiral staircase. And as you keep Hmm. going around and around, you look back upon where you come from and say, oh, I do this because of that. And I do it better now because of this. So I feel like my amalgamation of creative projects has culminated into uh, multifamily specifically and personally in small multifamily units and multifamily syndication investing. So that's a long-winded answer. And that's a good segue to talk about the asset part of the show about multifamily. What surprised you the most about investing in multifamily? Yeah, so I feel like maybe it's a byproduct of my generation coming out of college with a big, expensive undergraduate degree and kind of being straddled with debt. Was I sort of afraid of like a single family home? It sort of felt like a trap. It felt like a big, another Mm. expensive purchase that I was solely personally responsible for. And that just seemed more of like a debt rather than an asset, you know, liability rather than a a valuable thing to, to have. Obviously, you can get into the nuance of it all, but the point is with a multifamily, did I see risk being spread out over multiple tenants, whether, you know, just speaking personally in the small two to four units? Did I see it being an actual valuable money-making endeavor for someone to, you know, more popularly house hack and have someone pay part or all of my mortgage? This starts to make sense to me where I'm like, oh, this ownership is less scary to me than a single family home would be, and I would like to pursue that. So that was my initial like reframing of home ownership in a small sort of immediate way. And then we could talk about the next step. Yeah, absolutely. And so thinking about, you know, where we are right now with multifamily prices have been gradually increased in the past, I would say five to seven years with the last year being crazy. We see some softening in the markets right now, but where are we headed? Where do you think, you know, if you could have a crystal ball, what do you think you're going to see there? We're recording this, it's May 2022. What do you think is going to happen until the end of the year? Yeah, I can speak personally for my foray into real estate shifting from 
high-risk creative filmmaking endeavors to maybe a less <laughs> risky real estate endeavor, which maybe we can compare and contrast the, the, the business mm-hmm. reasoning for each. But I happened to join my real estate journey, you know, May 2018, after a, a good friend of mine had a, a workshop, May 2019, start getting more focused on, I want a multifamily, let's go. And then COVID happens, working from home, everything mm. skyrockets and did, you know, I see prices literally, you know, increase, you know, $50,000 and $60,000 going to open houses with 50, 60, 70 people standing around the block, Mm -hmm. buyers getting 40 plus offers. And here I am saying like, oh, I'm never going to get something, but no, stick to the plan, stick to the strategy, you know, however long it's going to take, it's going to take. So obviously everyone has the feeling of like trying to time the market and I'm I'm never really the best time to plant a tree is 10 years ago. So like, if you're always <laughs> trying to time the market. Well it, said, well said. That would sort of convince me to just say, keep plugging ahead. Like it may feel like a burn now, but 10 years later, I'll be enjoying the shade of ownership and all the, the benefits that come from it, both, you know, as an asset, as a, as a business expense, so on and so forth. So I believe if I had a crystal ball that this is the new normal, it's always the new normal, you know, at working from home, is a huge priority. Everyone realizes why would I live in the city and pay X thousand dollars rent when I can live in a suburb and pay X thousand dollars in my personal mortgage while still working my job remotely or even a better job remotely. So just maybe that's a little reason to my involvement with a lot of these different projects that you read in my my introduction is working from home has like radically changed the way we go about real estate employment, so on and so forth. So I don't see that going away. I don't see that changing. So real estate is just going to be this new normal, whether it dips a little bit, sure. But if you zoom out, this line is constantly going up over the whole, you know, the past 150 years. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's interesting uh, what you said that the best time to plant a tree was 10 years ago. And I remember having a conversation four years ago with someone who said, I cannot believe you're buying assets in Atlanta and you're paying over $90,000 a door. And today, you know, a, a decent class being a good area for 150 is even kind of challenging to find. But this guy, I think, was, was missing on a lot of opportunities because he was living 2005, 2009, where he could buy assets for, you know, 50 and 60,000. And so things change. And if we're not ready to change with them and change our perspective, we're going to lose and miss a lot. And it's also true when you're looking at it from a different perspective, where if you're used to pay high prices and when things are going to change with increasing interest rates, et cetera, you may not be able to pay your bills and pay your loans. So you got to be very careful about not being fixated on one scenario, one market, certain pricing margins, because in real estate, there's one thing certain is that nothing is certain. And if you have that mindset, you know, that it will set you for success for sure. It's very, very interesting what's happening in multifamily right now. It seems like things, I think we just switched from a very, very strong seller's market to a buyer's market. I mean, it started to feel this way. Yeah. I would also say that people get sticker shock you know, where they see the price on the sticker and they think they're, they're getting burned, but there's oh, a yeah. lot more back end accounting benefits to having an asset, whether yeah. that's 
refinancing it later on, adding value. And that's the other reason why I love multifamily. The price of a single family is simply a comparable where a multifamily, you can add value by decreasing utilities or increasing just the look and feel of it compared to other similar multifamilies. So that alone is an accounting aspect that goes unnoticed. You might have overspent. And I felt like I did in my housing endeavors, but having this asset has now allowed me to unlock accounting assets that I've never had to had access to before. Yep, absolutely. So let's uh, switch gears a little bit and talk about the process of scaling to larger multifamily assets. What steps have you taken to scale up your portfolio and, and how big is your portfolio? Yes. Going back into my initial workshop with a good friend friend, mentor of mine, did I have a long-term vision of multifamily syndication? I saw that as the sweet spot for someone who is creative and involved in a number of aspects to be able to invest passively without all the day-to-day landlording management while still yielding positive cash flow returns. In my mind, it was very, you buy the first couple units and then you buy a couple more and then you you know get up to 15 and it's very like a linear process in my pursuit of trying to buy a house was I so frustrated and and having tens you know of offers denied that I took some of my down payment and invested it into a good friend of mine's capital investments, Fair Winds Capital Investments firm that I learned about. And we'll get into the details of the relationships there because that's big on in real estate as well too. And did I see the returns of the syndication dream happen a lot sooner than my own personal ownership of a small two to four unit multifamily? So my timeline was expedited so much so I said, I like the taste of this. I want more of this. So I kept snowballing my returns into the next deal and into the next deal while still trying to find my own personal two to four multifamily unit. So it was sort of like reverse where my syndication goals happened sooner and to even go to the next step of wanting to become a general partner for Fairwinds and say, this is the dream that I'm trying to obtain. Let's go after this because it's right in front of me, despite my little timeline or my, my little strategy not being in the order that I thought I had to be. And how do you juggle between growing your portfolio, you know, advancing in your career and volunteering and doing all the other things that you're doing? Because you're doing a lot and you're very, very involved in a community. So how do you find time to do all of this? <laughs> my mantra, my personal mantra is there's plenty of time. I just can't keep saying there's plenty of time. There's plenty of time in this digital age. We may feel overwhelmed, but being able to text and send an email and then jump on the Zoom call is, I equate it to my time in the kitchen where you have, you know, a piece of toast in the oven and then you have something sauteing on the stove and then you're mm. cutting onions in the, in the same time. And before you know it, you have a meal in 30 minutes. So it's like there are multiple, <laughs> there are multiple things yeah. like happening. And I just attribute that to our digital age, as opposed to letting it overwhelm me and feeling like there's too much to keep track of. I also live by the philosophy that a 15 minute phone call could change your life for the better. For multi-million dollars can be made with a 15 minute phone call. So trying to break away from sort of a very traditional mindset of, I put an hour in and I get a wage out. I put an hour in and I get a wage out. And I'm trying to break that by looking at the best amount of effort I can make for the greatest possible return for my business I'm involved in, my family, you know, even this conversation we have, what can I provide in this succinct amount of time that is impactful for your listeners? So it's a lot about mindset and the ability to juggle and multitask, which 
It's not easy for many people. And there's a lot of distractions and it's always kind of a balancing act between doing more and still making time, you know, for the people that you love and, and for your passions, but also making sure that when you do things, you do them and you're present and you do them right. And you're not just giving 20% of yourself, of your attention across five or six different, you know, things, because that would be more challenging. Definitely. And to tie it all together, like I said, in passing, it's all about people. So if you yeah. invest time in yeah. people and build those relationships and, and more importantly, to follow up with them. That's sort of maybe the weak spot for even myself personally is a great introduction, but don't forget to follow up after a week, even if it's just a simple hello. It doesn't have to be agenda driven. It can just simply be a life update of just a hi. Yep, absolutely. So let's move to the last part of our conversation about strategy. Using real estate investments to support your bigger passions is something that you do pretty well. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So as you mentioned, I'm a multimedia guy. I make films. My passion and focus has been on the deaf community, specifically in terms of American Sign Language and Sign Language broadly. So I've been involved in making documentary films about an emerging deaf community in northern Peru and and their efforts to establish the first public deaf school of the country is sort of like a slice of my aspects of getting involved with deaf communities around the world and bolstering their efforts in terms of sign language recognition, access to education, and comparatively to America, which is far ahead in terms of policy and recognition there's still a lot of work to be done even in our own country. My own specific position as a CODA, a child of a deaf adult, do I recognize my unique you know, position in the crossroads of all of this, hence why I have my master's in policy, my background is in filmmaking. And all of these things are great, but they are very uncertain. And you say real estate's uncertain, but to me, as a filmmaker, as a policymaker, real estate seems very stable. It seems very reliable. It seems very tangible. It seems like a very easy sell of I have this complex with 200 units that needs 200 people, their families to live in it, to pay me rent, so we all benefit from it. As opposed to, I'm trying to make a film in Peru, can you give me $100,000? Seems like a, whoa, like that's a big sell, that's a big ask. Or I'm trying to you know, propose this policy in which sign language is you know, mandated as the education system for the deaf community here in Rhode Island, where I am. And that seems like a, whoa, that's a, a very boat rocking sort of proposition. So all that to say, real estate is the easy sell to gain resources, to make movies, to be involved in government, to better my community with. And I think that is sort of the missing piece that I needed in my creative endeavors is having a solid, firm foundation of low risk investment opportunities. All right. Alex, thank you so much for being on the show today. Any final remarks or thoughts or tips before we move to the lightning round questions part of the show? I would just say, keep your strategy. People always think they know what's best for you, but you need to keep your strategy. Yeah. I think, you know, many people are, they speak from their own individual experience and it's not necessarily relevant to you. So I always say, you know, when you get advice from someone, get advice from someone who is successful in the area of which the advice is being given. And it's not always the case. And that's staying true to your internal, you know, compass. And yeah, that's, that's a great advice. I'll follow it up with another one I say is, yeah, you know, I'm involved in academia and people always talk about research and pursuing things. 
I felt the most enriching thing for me hasn't been research. It's been me search, figuring out where I have come from, my lineage and my heritage, and taking that me search and channeling it into the efforts that I only someone like me could do as it really opened up a lot of doors from Fairwinds Capital Investing by knowing someone within the deaf community and opening that to being reached out by one of your members of your capital investment firm because of those interests and in leading to this interview. So that me search has been very enriching. So I always try to tell people to learn about their history and their backgrounds and use that for their greater good. That's a great advice. That's a great advice, Alex. All right. So the first question on Enlightening Round questions is, what is your favorite hobby? Yep. Okay. This one's great. So it's related to my undergraduate degree, interactive media and game design. I love games, tabletop board games, tabletop role-playing games. I'm a huge Dungeons and Dragons guy. I'm a licensed dungeon master. If I can push up my invisible glasses here and like, ooh, uh, like talk about being a professional dungeon master for here locally in my community or playing for people online. All right. Awesome. And what's the one thing that people don't know about you? The one thing that people don't know about me is that I guess I make craft little foam craft tabletop terrain pieces that is like <laughs> we're playing on very, very small miniature terrain scale. All right. The next question is what book are you currently reading or just a book that really inspired you that you would like to share with our audience? Sure. It's from my heart is In Search of Deathhood, which is a very strong, deep, academic book related to the history of deaf culture throughout history and the very minutiae of the implications of deaf schools in America and around the world and finding out what it means to have a deaf culture and really providing the academic basis for it. Super dense, so if any one of your listeners are in academia, maybe they'll appreciate that. All right. Next one is, what's your advice for leaving an extraordinary life? Wow. To appreciate every moment, it's tough. We always have regrets. We think we know what's best. We think about the vision, and when it's not happening, we feel very discombobulated. And I think it's really training yourself to appreciate what happened, what has happened, and what will happen, knowing that we're all trying to do our best, and whatever ends up happening is meant for us. You know, it sounds very hippy dippy, but I have really worked on this in, in my life, having my family experiences, having my past two plus years of trying to buy a house. Do I recognize, you know, everything happens for a reason is sort of like the mainstream way of saying it. All right. And lastly, Alex, if listeners would like to get in touch with you to talk about investing, but real estate, where can they find you? Yeah. So right now I'm a general partner for Fairwinds Capital Investing. You can reach out just generally in the info section. I'm in the mix of the team. You can email me L-A-F-F-R-A-F-F at gmail.com. That's laugh laugh. It's sort of a handle of mine and best way of getting in touch. Otherwise, I'm sort of out there on social media, Twitter at laugh laugh, but I'm sure we'll connect. But email is probably the best way. All right, Alex, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Ellie. All right, guys. I hope that that was a fun discussion for you to listen to. It was for me. Hopefully you kind of leaving our conversation a little bit more knowledgeable. That's it for today. Be bold, be great, and create your own kind of extraordinary life, guys. If you would like to talk to my team about investing, reach out to us, bullake-capital.com. 
We have a new investor form that you can fill out and we'll get in touch with you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.